We've talked on the show about the various legal issues facing former President Donald Trump as he continues to lead the Republican primary field. And up until somewhat recently, they've kind of been, you know, looming specters, something to be speculated about. Well, four indictments and 91 charges later, things are starting to feel a little different, way more real. Briefs and appeals are being filed. Trial dates are being scheduled. And in some cases, the various associates charged alongside Trump are figuring out what they want their own legal futures to look like. The question now is, will the former president like what they decide? There is breaking news in Fulton County, Georgia, another significant plea deal. I want to get straight to CNN. My guest this week is CNN chief legal affairs correspondent Paula Reed. We're going to talk about what a series of plea deals can tell us about the case against Trump in Georgia and why ignoring gag orders is costing him cash. From CNN, this is One Thing. I'm David Ryan. Paula, it's been a minute since we've caught up on the legal woes of former President Donald Trump on this show. So can we start in Fulton County, Georgia? Like what has been happening there over the past week? A lot. Uh, In just the past about several weeks, we've seen four defendants strike plea deals Hmm. with a prosecutor down there. Now, remember, they charged 19 people, including former President Trump, in this sprawling RICO case. And it was never expected that all 19 people would go to trial. That's not the way this works. But what we thought could happen is that two of them, uh, people who worked on the Trump legal team following the 2020 election, Sidney Powell and Kenneth Chesborough, they were scheduled to go to trial this month. Their cases had been severed uh, from the rest. Both of them have entered plea deals uh, with prosecutors. And then just uh, on Tuesday, we saw another Trump attorney, Jenna Ellis, also strike a deal with prosecutors. The first person to do this was actually a bail bondsman several weeks ago, Scott Hall. And what's interesting about all four of these deals is that they are pleading to much lesser offenses. These just these have been described as real sweetheart deals. One source told mm. me that here the district attorney has really set the bar Pretty low uh, in terms of of what they're giving out. But this is a win for both sides. I mean, this is a win for these people. Three of them are attorneys. They want to be able to keep their law licenses. And it Mm. appears through these deals, they'll be able to do that. Scott Hall will continue to be a a bail bondsman. And the prosecutors can claim, you know, four plea deals, four guilty pleas. Thank you, Your Honor, for the opportunity to address the court. Now, lots more to go, and we expect additional pleas, but not not a good look for Trump. I mean, with Jenna Ellis through tears, she told the court on Tuesday she regretted even representing Trump. I believe in and I value election integrity. If I knew then what I know now, I would have declined to represent Donald Trump in these post-election challenges. I look back on this whole experience with deep remorse. Right. I can understand why they would want to kind of reduce their own, you know, legal bills and and avoid possible jail time. But how concerning is this for Trump with all these people kind of going one by one? It should be concerning because these are some of the people like Kenneth Chesbrough, Sidney Powell, Jenna Ellis. 
These were people who were helping him to amplify the lies about the election. And now what you're seeing is people turning on him uh, and pleading guilty to crimes to reduce their own exposure. And as part of all these deals, they have to testify at future cases. And these are Mm. not his closest associates. We're not talking about Rudy Giuliani or Mark Meadows. But Sidney Powell, she was at those press conferences. She was at meetings at the White House. And these are certainly big gets for prosecutors. He should be concerned. Right. I was going to ask, is that the goal from prosecutors to kind of move up the chain closer and closer to Trump? Yeah, that's always the way prosecutors try to approach these cases. You try to go through the lesser people or people you don't have so much evidence on and try Mm. to get them to cooperate against bigger targets. And that's what, what we're seeing here. But I would argue here they're starting in the middle of the pack. Part of that, though, is because Sidney Powell and Ken Chesborough were expected to go to trial. And I will say anyone watching these hearings, uh, bless the state of Georgia, they're all televised so people could see this. It was pretty clear. Prosecutors weren't ready to bring this case to trial just yet. Mm. Um, So they were clearly under a lot of pressure uh, to, to strike these deals. Trump's lawyers have argued that these deals suggest that the case is weak, and that's why they have to do that. But that's not the case. I mean, this is the way that RICO prosecutions work. Now, has the district attorney, Fonnie Willis, written a check that she cannot cash in terms of convictions against former President Trump or Rudy Giuliani or Mark Meadows? That remains to be seen. And I want to remind people, it might be a while before we get an answer on that, because this is a case that is expected to take over four months. And if you look at the calendar next year, 2024, the trial's already on on the schedule, the election events. I personally don't see a place where this trial can take place next year. So we're talking 2025, or if he's reelected, beyond. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, and this week on Chasing Life, how exactly does food impact the brain, and how do we really know when our brain is well-nourished? Food is also deeply connected to how we feel, in the moment, and how well the brain functions. I'm going to find out what's the best fuel for the brain, what foods we should avoid, and what it really means to have a well-nourished brain. Listen to Chasing Life, wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, Paula, can we move to New York City now because Donald Trump's ongoing civil fraud trial is happening there. And there was like major drama in the courtroom on Wednesday, right? What happened? Well, Trump took the stand. Uh, Briefly, he made an appearance uh, as a witness, but not to talk about the substance of the case. Mm. Instead, to be asked whether he had violated a gag order that the judge has put in place there. The judge overseeing this case has barred Trump from talking about members of the court staff Hmm. after Trump previously posted about the judge's clerk suggesting she was partisan. Now, that initial post remained up long after the gag order, so Trump has already been fined $5,000 for that. And then on Wednesday... Because no negative jury would vote against me. But this judge will, because this judge is a very partisan judge, with a person who's very partisan sitting alongside of him, perhaps even much more partisan than he is. So, Trump complained that the judge was partisan, but then also suggested that there was another very partisan person sitting alongside him. Clerks tend to sit next hmm. to judges. I sat next to the judge when I was clerking, <sighs> as most people thought he was once again talking about the clerk. His lawyers denied that. But when Trump was on the stand and questioned by the judge, he said, yeah, I was talking about you, judge. But the person beside you was the star witness, Michael Cohen. That's who Uh, I was referring to. 
The judge did not buy he it. Didn't found buy it. him not not at all. Uh, found him not credible. Said this was intentional and hit him with a ten thousand dollar fine. But the reason this matters so much is because this is a challenge in the state case and the federal case where there's also a pending gag order. How do you enforce a gag order against someone who is bound and determined to paint all these proceedings as partisan? Right. And he's a prolific poster on social media. And now we've seen when he shows up to court in New York, he'll come out in the hallway and just kind of give his opinion on what's going on. Yeah. And he is entitled to speak out against the proceedings. Uh, He's entitled to express his innocence uh, within certain bounds. So when you talk about people like court staff, line prosecutors, even witnesses. These are people who are either trying to do their job or comply with their legal obligations. And to have the ire of former President Trump turned on you can really alter your life and in some cases uh, result in violence, which is why the judges don't want him doing this. And what about the Michael Cohen part of this, as we're on this theme of former Trump associates who have turned on him? I read it was the first time the two had been in the same room in five years. Like, what was that like? Think about this moment between him and Michael Cohen, the original flipper, coming face to face with Michael Cohen for the first time in five years in this courtroom in New York. A remarkable moment because this is what we're going to see play out again and again in these federal and state cases, right? He's going to have these courtroom reunions with former allies like Sidney Powell, Ken Chesborough, Jenna Ellis. Now, I'm sure we'll talk about Mark Meadows as well. These people who were his allies who have now turned state's witness, that is a very uncomfortable place to be for anyone. Uh, And it's unclear how that's going to resonate with voters, but it certainly takes up a lot of your energy uh, and a lot of your bandwidth trying to to go through this kind of process. And I guess for a guy like Trump, who has always put loyalty above all else, I imagine (laughs) I imagine seeing this, you know, one by one has got to be got to be a blow. Yeah, keep your friends close and potential states' witnesses even closer, right? (laughs) I mean, there are some people on his team that we've asked, why do they keep so-and-so around? And I've been told by multiple sources, well, they're worried if that person was ever outside the fold, what that person could provide in certain investigations. Because I'm told the former president did learn some lessons through what happened with Michael Cohen. Hmm. Now, these other folks testifying down in Fulton County, that's a different thing. These are members of his legal team. They want to keep their law licenses. They, they are admitting to the fact that they engaged in crimes, trying to undermine the outcome of the election. It, it's different. But these these incredible close allies turning on him, that is, it's a remarkable moment in the arc of the story of former President Trump and his legal problems. You mentioned Mark Meadows. Oh, yes. What is the latest as it relates to him? So we have previously reported here at CNN that he testified before the grand jury uh, for the special counsel's investigation into former President Trump. This is the federal case. Exactly. The two federal cases. And we knew that uh, he had gone in, that he had testified. We were told that he, he told the truth. Now, uh, if he told the truth, that's probably going to contradict some things that he's, he's said publicly. So we always sort of knew that it was likely he was saying things that would be detrimental to former President Trump. But now, through new reporting, uh, first reported by ABC News, we're learning more about exactly what he said. And according to their reports, he completely contradicted this narrative that the election was stolen. Mm. That's a big break, of course, from Trump. But it's also a big break from Mark Meadows, from things he said in his book where he insisted that the election was stolen. So this is really significant because Meadows is not just a witness. He is the witness. Thank you very much. Our witness today is Ms. Cassie Hutchinson. Remember the January 6th committee? When they investigated January 6th, they said all roads lead through Mark Meadows. Remember leaning against the doorway and saying, 
has had an interesting conversation with Rudy, Mark. It sounds like we're going to go to the Capitol. He didn't look up from his phone and said something to the effect of, there's a lot going on, Cass, but I don't know. Things might get real, real bad on January 6th. Right. All the exhibits that kind of played out at the hearings, uh, a lot of them involved what Meadows was doing, what who he was talking to. Exactly. This is why he's going to be such a key witness for prosecutors. Well, and don't forget, don't forget, for Jeffrey, president. that Mark Meadows said in his book that the president only meant going to the Capitol metaphorically. Yeah, hard. And as Liz Cheney said, that metaphorically. was clearly a lie. Yeah. He's not a perfect witness. Perfect witnesses are rare. Uh, defense attorneys are likely going to whip out that autobiography that he wrote and have him read things, and the jury's going to have to decide if he is a credible witness. But we have always had questions about the extent to which Mark Meadows was helping prosecutors. He's been very quiet. And the fact that Mark Meadows has given such damaging testimony undercutting uh, Trump's narrative, it's one thing to say this in a press conference at the Four Seasons, right? It's one thing to tweet about it. But in a court of law, even Mark Meadows realizes there are consequences for lying, which is why, according to his lawyer, he has been truthful, and his truth could be really damaging to Trump at trial. And again, that trial is expected to go in March of next year. Hmm. Well, Paula, thanks for keeping an eye on all of it. Appreciate it. Thank you. One Thing is a production of CNN Audio. This episode was produced by Aaron Mathewson and me, David Rind. Matt Dempsey is our production manager. Fez Jamil is our senior producer. Greg Peppers is our supervising producer. And Steve Lichtai is the executive producer of CNN Audio. If you're liking the show, don't forget you can leave us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. It does help us out. We'll be back next Sunday. Talk to you then. Hold up. 